part of the conversation I had last week with the team at Just for Kids Law stuck out to me. It was the part where they discussed the need for black teachers in classrooms, but not just any black teacher, black teachers who were willing to make a difference alongside a schooling system that allowed them to do so. This got me thinking more about the lack of black teachers within the education system. Where are they and why are we lacking them? Research by the National Foundation for Education Research shows that despite ethnic minority people being overrepresented among applicants, their acceptance rate onto postgraduate initial teacher training courses is much lower when compared to their white peers. This disparity in early careers continues into the teaching workforce, which then results into fewer black teachers in the classrooms and among senior leadership. But why is this such a problem? Organisations such as Teach First highlight that the absence of diverse educators and school leaders can make success feel less attainable to students and minority groups, and more broadly, can shape unconscious biases that are difficult to shift in later life. Diversity in the teaching workforce therefore helps foster social cohesion, supports students to grow in an environment of visible diverse role models, and brings different perspectives to the classroom, therefore enriching the education experience as a whole. But again, this will only work to change the educational outcomes of black men and boys if there are black teachers willing to make a difference alongside a school and system that allows them to do so. One of those teachers making a difference is Jeffrey Boache, who spent 15 years teaching English to secondary school students. Jeffrey is now an author, broadcaster, educator and writer with an interest in issues surrounding education, race, masculinity and popular culture. He recently published a book, I Heard What You Said, which gives an unforgettable insight into racism in modern education. So in this next interview, I'm keen to understand Jeffrey's experiences as a teacher and his perspective on what needs to be changed to address the pressing issues at hand. Jeffrey, I've really been enjoying your book over the past few days. I feel like we're in a point where it's been really pivotal to have and hear a lot of black male voices in the UK because there's been such a big absence of that for a long time and to find people with your work and your contribution is so significant particularly to me the resources you're creating now would have been so important to myself and to the other black men around me like five ten years ago yeah yeah that's amazing sorry I wasn't working on it sooner I could have helped you out 10 15 years ago you know (laughs) So your book looks at how we can dismantle racism in the classroom and how we can do better for all students, black or otherwise. In this book, you talk a lot about default and dominant whiteness. Can you describe to us what that means and how it relates to the education system as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. When I say it's a default position and it's dominant, it's something which is so pervasive and so constant that you actually don't notice it. That's what I'm talking about. It's not a huge object that's in the way that you have to work around and that you can see it and you have to navigate it. It's actually the air that you're in. It's the water that the fish swims in. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about dominant whiteness in that way. Because, you know, if we cut to the chase, white supremacy as a concept, the real trick of white supremacy is to make whiteness the default dominant position. So everything is seen through that lens. So obviously our institutions, you know, our businesses, our structures in society will take on this default whiteness and anything which doesn't fall under that umbrella 
is having to navigate it with an unspoken amount of pressure. Do you sort of get what I mean when I when I put it like that? Yeah, and I feel like whiteness has been so centered and normalized. Mm. Often as black men and black people, we don't know any different and therefore we we don't challenge it because that's the norm. Yeah. Like yeah. it would be seen as out of structure yeah. and like abnormal to have like frontline black representation. Absolutely, yeah. No one challenges oxygen. No one challenges gravity. It's just the way things are. But the gravity of whiteness, the oxygen of whiteness in the modern West, those things were decided like in the 1600s, the 1700s. These were decisions that were made, scientific racism. These things were invented. And it just happened to coincide with, you know, colonial capitalist greed and exploitation. So that's the reason for it. It's not as if someone just said, let's create racism. No, that came after the greed that came with, you know, colonial exploits. So we sort of pan out slightly and get that wider perspective. You can see the construct for what it is, but we've all been born into it. And that's when the problems start, because then, as you say, to even acknowledge it, let alone challenge it, starts to become a disruptive feeling when actually it's just trying to see what we're in, you know? Have there been any crucial moments that stand out to you where it's been made apparent that the system structure isn't right? Does anything spring to mind? Yeah, definitely. I mean, loads of those moments and anecdotes kind of punctuate, I heard what you said, my most recent book about my experiences as a black teacher in the education system. And on that level, it can be something as simple as walking down the science corridor in a school and it's flanked by pictures of scientists from throughout history. And there's not a single non-white face in all the scientists throughout history. So you're telling me that in the history of the human species, every thinker, intellectual contribution happens to be white and European. That's obviously not the case, right? But that's what we're presenting. And people don't even realize that that is in itself problematic because that's just what they've been presented with. So things like that, it's almost seeing the blind spot. That's when the penny drops because then you start asking questions and you start realizing that some of the story you've been given is very limited, deliberately, deliberately. So yeah, lots of moments like that. Lots of moments like that. Were those moments and experiences ones that you recognized earlier on in your teaching career? Or has yeah. it been like a continued reminder? Yeah, I mean, I'll be very upfront and I'm very honest in, in the book as well, that earlier on in my teaching career, I started my teacher training in 2007, all right? And at that point, I was not very critical. I just thought teaching was going to be this thing where I put on a tweed jacket and I put in a, you know, and I grab my leather satchel and I talk about literature in the way that I was talked to about literature. So it was like dead white men everywhere. So I wasn't being that critical of it, if I'm being really honest. But then as I went on, it was a case of realizing that certain conversations weren't happening. And as I started to grow in myself and started to explore, you know, narratives that hadn't been explored when I was at school, all of these absent conversations became more apparent and the gravity of the situation, I started to feel it more. So that was my personal journey, which is kind of what, it's kind of what I heard you said is, it's about my personal journey as well as the universal truths and the universal stories that I want everyone to engage with. So yeah. I'm not sure if I've answered your question there. 
I guess once you've had that recognition, I mean, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with being an educator, but does that make you feel like you have a responsibility to black students? Yeah, I mean, that's actually really important because, you know, representation, to use the well-used the well phrase, it matters. Like, being represented matters. Our identities are quite complex, but every part of us needs to feel seen, represented, included. So when I walk into the educational system and it's kind of not representative of people who share my ethnic background, who share my racial characteristics, then I can see how those students might feel as those schools aren't places for them because they're not just they're not seeing themselves represented in the teachers or in the teaching body. So on that level, there, yeah, there's an automatic kind of responsibility to be aware of that. And I felt that, you know, I felt like the older brother when I was a bit younger, then the uncle, you know, and then sometimes the father, you know, purely because I'm in a minority of black teachers or non-white teachers. Yeah. For me, I find it really heartbreaking. I was mm. reading it the other day that the most disadvantaged social group is black working class boys. Mm. who despite having higher educational attainment levels are less likely to be employed than their white counterparts who mm. have lower educational attainment rates. I think it's devastating. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's, there's a number of paradoxes there. So you get a situation whereby, you know, generally speaking, Black African in particular students do really well at school, right? Their attainment at the end of their school journey is quite high. Black Caribbean... It, it, it actually spikes quite a lot at 16 when you do your, your GCSEs because that's when you're anonymous. All the way through, the subconscious biases or the very conscious biases means that those cohorts are undermarked, right? They actually, Black African students in particular, historically get to university at quite a high level, you know, like overrepresented at university. But boom, when you come out of university, the employment prospects fall, right? So there's something going on there whereby your quote-unquote white working-class students who struggled to get through the educational slalom, they end up still getting jobs after leaving school, right? And that paradox speaks to the structural racism that's not just within education, but in society as a whole. So you can see how insidious these, these issues are. And it's not simply about one cohort versus another cohort. These are about deep-seated social problems, you know, that go very deep into, into history. Yeah. I want to ask you about the responsibility you felt as a teacher to portray positive Black masculinity in predominantly white spaces. Yeah. Does that ever feel like a heavy weight or a burden to place on a Black male teacher? Oh, man. Yeah, to totally, totally. Like, the thing about being in any kind of minority, right, any kind of minority, is that you become a delegate for anyone who shares that protected characteristic. So you're going through life as an ambassador for whatever you are, right? So you've got to be, you know, not just palatable, but you've actually got to excel just in order to be a good ambassador. And it's kind of like a job that you don't realise you're taking very seriously, but there's a reason why... My my own English teacher from when I was at secondary school, I had one black teacher my whole educational career who happened to teach me English, right? He's from Uganda. And I got in touch with him recently and we've been chatting. And he said he, he, he felt so much pressure 
to never be late, to always be dressed smartly, to always excel in his work, to always get everything done on time. And that was because he knew that people were waiting to judge him. You know, he knew how prejudice works. So he had to excel. And that's a pressure. That's a burden. It's not fair. I want to be a C plus. Like, let me be a C minus student and go through life and eat toast and be happy. But now we've got to be A star because we're representing the whole time. And that links back to what I said earlier, where you're sort of having to put an arm around kids. But this is when it gets really interesting that it's not just the kids that look like you that want that. It's all kids. They all want a real relationship. They all want to be protected. And it's fascinating that sometimes, sorry, I'm giving you a long answer here. Sometimes kids who don't share your protected characteristics gravitate towards you because they understand that you're going through something. It's really interesting. That has happened to me a lot in my, in my time as a teacher. I guess it's unrealistic, isn't it? To uphold these expectations all the time. Yeah. You know, we're only human. We all have defaults and errors. That, that's just inevitable. Yeah, yeah. I think for black men, especially in your space in particular, we're expected to have like higher levels of decorum and mannerisms. 100%, 100%. Because, you know, you've got to put it into context. In this country, you're only talking, what, 40 years, 50 years, when black men in particular were deeply demonized. The whole concept of like mugging in the 1970s, that whole concept was attributed to black men specifically. So this fear of black masculinity is like deep rooted in society yeah. and it gets played out in other ways, like over-sexualized or seen as physical rather than cerebral. Yeah. So all of this stuff is swelling around in the recent history of this country. So as a black man navigating professional spaces, particularly teaching, which is predominantly, it's like dominated largely by white women as, as well, then you're having to navigate that too because you're completely like flipping people's expectations of what a teacher even looks like, Yeah, you know? So all of that, I've got all that in my head when I'm walking into a school. It's a bit mad. It's a lot. <laughs> in your book, you mention a bit that says the black boy in Britain is an unbackable horse. Mm. Are you able to describe that and what it means? Yeah, all I'm talking about there is, you know, historically speaking, statistically speaking, black boys do not prosper out of the educational system, you know, fall out of schools at a disproportionately high rate, do not attain at the same rate as, um, as other peers, don't make it all the way to the end of that educational journey statistically. So that means that, you know, if you're going to back that horse, you're probably not going to get a return on your money. Now, that is something which, like, as a black boy myself, you know, that's what I was. Hmm. I had to think about kind of how I was navigating education personally. But there are nuances as well, because we say black boys, oh, it's one thing. There's different communities, different diasporas, you know. Yeah. The West Indian community came over post-war, 1970s, West African communities the Somali community that came a little bit later. There's lots of different elements of blackness, but essentially speaking, the system itself hasn't even taken the first step really to understand what the black diaspora is and how its various communities are getting through this thing. So that's all I meant by that, that um, historically speaking, there have been struggles, you know? 
And when you talk about the idea of blackness and the expectation of coolness, how mm. would you say that affects the classroom attainment of black boys? Yeah, I think that on the one level, there's just a fascination with blackness in popular culture, largely stemming from music. You know, if you go to black America, it goes back to like rock and roll, blues, rhythm and blues, jazz, everything up to hip hop and all the way through. So historically, there's been a fascination with black cool, right? And the white mainstream has always been fascinated by it because it's a bit illicit. So we carry this sort of like this cultural coolness just by existing as black because not all black people are cool. Hello? Like, come on, not all people are cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you've got this kind of weird, kids will see you and they associate you with like coolness. You're like, oh, wow. Like, okay. And then on another level that excites young audiences because adolescents, they want to do stuff that's cool and illicit. That's why they listen to the music they shouldn't listen to and dress the way they shouldn't dress. That's what an adolescent is. Yeah. So there's an interesting relationship between blackness in the mainstream and how that plays out in the very uncool sphere of formal education. Like schools aren't cool places. Like they're, they're quite Victorian, you know, they're quite dry. You sit in rows, you sit in silence, you do academia. So that overlap is one that I found fascinating because I think schools can be very fun places, very edgy places, very exciting places. Like what's more exciting than learning about stuff that opens your worldview, exploring culture. So I think that in a way, it's been a benefit to have like black culture in me because it means I'm bringing something very fresh perspective wise to a very arid environment, like the school environment. And I think that kids respond well to that. Anyone does really, yeah. Have you ever had any difficult interactions or stigmas presumed by students themselves? You know what, it's, it's never the kids. It's never the kids. I've had- Yeah, I've heard people say that a lot. Yeah, yeah. The kids are fine, kids are curious. Kids are open, naive. They have their- insecurities obviously the people they have their prejudices that have been bred into them we all have that that's a very serious thing but there's something else that kids are where they they want to connect with the person right so in a way when i psychoanalyze myself a bit a bit further i can see why i've ended up working with young people because it, they cut through all of the sort of stereotypes and they they just want to know who is in front of them so i can be me i can be like jeffrey in my whole self with a class of kids and we can learn together and you spend so much time with with each other that you get to know each other's personalities and that's really refreshing because in other spaces professional spaces i'm not jeffrey in my whole self i'm the black teacher, I'm the black professional, I'm the black broadcaster. Do you know what I mean? So, so I, I feel like it's never the kids, even when they say things that are outrageous, and there's a few things like that in the book where kids ask me questions. I'm like, what are you, where's that coming from? It's not coming from a place of malice. I've never, I've never felt that. I've never felt that the kids have been malicious or, you know, exercising, deliberately exercising their power over me. So yeah, it's never the kids. When talking about bringing more black teachers into the education system, the narrative focuses around black teachers for black children. Mm. What are your thoughts on that narrative? Yeah, I feel like you can oversimplify things by 
by focusing on one protected characteristic. Like I said, identity is complex. There are so many intersections of who one is. You know, your ethnicity is one thing, where you grew up, your religion, your sexuality, your creed, your lived experiences, you know. You might have suffered certain things that other people haven't suffered. That's part of you. You know, your interests, all sorts of different things overlap. The fact that I'm an avid fan of skateboarding is like almost as important as the fact that I was raised Catholic is as important as the fact that I love Dirty Dance in the movie. Like these are all intersections. And then my blackness is another part of me. So to overly focus on representation without actually thinking about what you need representation for is a bit of a dead end road. You get to the point where, not to get too political, but we've we've got a government that had a lot of non-white faces and it looks like on a superficial level, wow, what a diverse cabinet of people. But these people are upholding ideas that were monstrous and they were not competent and all the rest of it. So it's not just about what it looks like. That said, it's very important to make any institution safe enough for people to want to turn up and be there. Because if it doesn't feel safe, people aren't going to enter that room. Fact. Yeah. And that's the same for any institution. So look at, I don't know, professional football. I don't even like football that much, but there are no gay footballers in the Premier League. Really? Okay, 700 men playing football, no gay men. That's nonsense. So that means there's a homophobia problem in the Premier League because for some reason, there are no gay footballers, even though they clearly are. So if you are a young person trying to play football, you're going to see that and think, that's not safe for me because it's obvious problems homophobia. And that means that you're not going to want to engage with that institution. That's just one example of, of, of how we need safety for identity in order to encourage diversity. Oh, I'm spitting bars today. <laughs> yeah, it's Kendrick in the house. <laughs> you write that black teachers have to prosper in spite of marginalization rather than because of it. What would mm. it look like for the opposite to be true? Mm. Good question. Good question. So what would it look like for teachers to, to prosper kind of um, not in spite of their marginalization? But uh, yeah, I mean, what it would look like was for the environment to be different because, spoiler alert, no one's marginalized. That's a word that is linked to power. I'm not marginalized. I'm in the center of my own universe. Like, don't tell me I'm on the edges of anything. I can be on the edges of someone else's universe. So the white supremacist paradigm, I'm on the edge of that. But in my world, I'm the center of my world. And my heritage is in the center. So what it means is the flip then becomes the marginalized experience becoming centered. What would a school look like if it was centered in, you know, take your pick of any aspect of identity? What would the school look like if it was centered around Muslim? identity or jewish identity or whatever else you know um yeah take your pick what would a school look like if it was centered around a quote-unquote disabled identity to use air quotes there so that's the real intellectual flip that i think is necessary to think about um and that's when the marginalization conversation just flips because you could very easily have a school that marginalized dominant whiteness and that would look very different suddenly 
but that's an experiment that we've never seen played out because dominant whiteness is very dominant in this part of the world. So yeah, it's like it's like a different way of looking at things. That's really what I'm getting at. I want to finish this by you leaving us with some words of wisdom, if you will. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to black teachers and black boys in the education system currently? Yeah, the way that I've always done it myself, it, it kind of works for me, but the best of me is the worst of me. I'm a people pleaser, which means that I want to connect with other people because I want to kind of reach a point of shared, of shared experience. That's the best of me. Obviously, why I end up being a teacher, because you have to connect. It's also the worst of me because it's an insecurity, all right? Because it shouldn't matter about if someone else is comfortable around me. That's an insecurity. But I think the best advice I can give, jumping off that, is really actually focus on the connections and the relationships that you know to be important, because there's a lot of distraction. There's a lot of noise. There are machetes swinging all around in terms of race politics and identity and prejudice. And that stuff is a distraction because you want to connect. You want to connect with the people that you're working with, those young people. And it's them you want to connect with, not their protected characteristics. Who are they? It links to their protected characteristics, of course. But you need to connect with them. And you want to connect with the, with the context as well, your subject that you teach history surrounding it the text that you use you know you want to connect with that because that's when you bring everyone together it's a triangle the student the teacher and the text so i feel like that's where i've i've really flourished when i lean into those connections you know and that's where you fly above and that's when people start thinking whoa there's something special going on with that person nothing special about me at all i'm just trying to connect words of wisdom done (laughs) it was a pleasure hearing jeffrey's experience and perspective of the education system it's clear that as with many institutions in the uk there are multiple elements of the education system which center whiteness to the disadvantage of black students from the curriculum to the expectations imposed onto black boys but i was even more intrigued to hear about what these systemic issues meant for his experience as a teacher including how he felt the professional persona of a teacher was incompatible with his racial identity to how his teacher training left him unequipped to the realities of working in diverse classrooms Talking to Florence, Serena, Ayumi Day and Jeffrey has highlighted the harsh realities of the UK's education system, both for black teachers and black students. But with these conversations comes an element of hope. While there are still people looking to challenge the systemic issues within our education system, we know that we are working towards building institutions that will support future generations of black boys through their schools and into their careers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Mangrove. To make sure you don't miss out, follow or subscribe to Mangrove wherever you are listening. And if you can, please share, leave a rating and a review as it helps people find us.